Good evening, good evening, and welcome to the Positional Sports Talk Show. Oh, live streaming on Facebook Live, Twitch, and our Positional Sports Talk Show YouTube channel. We are a sports talk show made for the fans, from the perspective of fans presented by lifelong sports fans. We will provide our opinions and positions on the hottest topics in sports. My name is Big Reg, and I'm joined this evening by my partners in crime. What's going on, Professor Jay? How you doing this evening, brother? Hey, man, I'm blessed. Glad to see another day. You know we got a wonderful show tonight filled with so many nuggets of wisdom. I'm ready. Praise the Lord. Let's go. Absolutely. Absolutely. We got my brother Ed in the building. What's going on, Ed? How you feeling? I feel blessed. I'm ready to go. I'm super excited about what we're going to do tonight. Uh, honored, in fact. Let's do it. We're missing J3 and J Wills, but we hope to get both of them back soon. They will be back with us. But this evening, we have special guests, Mr. Robert Dorsey, and I will let Big Ed take it from here. So in recognition of Black History Month, I am extremely humbled and honored to introduce a man whom I respect beyond measure and have been fortunate to have many conversations about sports whenever we happen to connect. I can honestly say that I have never finished one of those conversations with this man without gaining significantly more knowledge than I could have ever possibly given to him. Quite frankly, I consider him a treasure and a perfect example of what it means to be a man and a true sports historian that we all should hold on tight to. Um, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about just based on his bio alone. In high school, he was a basketball and track star a two-time Chester Montgomery County League champion. That's right outside of, it's in suburban Philadelphia. He was an all-Chess Montgomery County second team uh, champion. He was a captain in all-Chess Mount first team and 15 all-state in basketball and track. <laughs> Listen to this, fellas. In track, he was a three-time four by 400 Chess Mount team champion a three-time 4x400-pin relays team champion. In 68, he broke the Chester Montgomery record in the 180-yard low hurdles. In 69, he was the first in the Chester Montgomery County Championship 100-yard dash. In 69, he was also the MVP male athlete at his high school, Henderson High School. In 69, he also received the Butch McDavid Award as the most outstanding male athlete uh, in Chester County for his high school. College, even more impressive. Three-time Pennsylvania State Athletic Conference champion, PSAC Conference. Team captain for the NCA regional team that finished third, 23-5, and five in Coach John Chaney's first year as a college coach. He was the first team all PSAC and MVP of the Cheney Wolves in 1973. And again, like I mentioned, he played under the legendary coach John Cheney while enrolled at Cheney State. After college, it was it didn't let up. Still impressive. Cheney University assistant coach for five years. Henderson High School assistant coach for 16 years. He was inducted into the Cheney University Sports Hall of Fame in 95, and he was a Chester County Sports Hall of Fame inductee in 2019. This man's resume speaks for itself. So without further ado, he's this Hall of Fame player and man, a champion in track, basketball, and life, 
I had the unique, he had the unique honor and opportunity to play under uh, Hall of Fame and legendary coach John Chaney. Post, let's give it up. A warm welcome for Mr. Robert Dorsey. Amen. Welcome. Thank you. I'm tired, Mr. Dorsey. I'm tired. That that introduction alone has me tired. I mean, you you are an impressive man, and and we're very humbled and honored, truly humbled and honored to have you here with us tonight. So I'm thank you to be here. Thank you. Okay, so uh, let's go back to your high school years, uh, Mr. Dorsey, um, and let's begin at Henderson High. Uh, were there any obstacles uh, at Henderson High as far as it relates to the black athlete participation in team sports? Um, in other words, was there like a quota system in place um, as far as how many black athletes can play on a particular team? And, and before you answer that question, can you give us like the demographics of that high school that you went to? Well, I went to a predominantly white high school. I, there was probably about 10% uh, minorities. Uh, I can remember we only had three Hispanic kids in the school. The rest, you know, the other percent were black, wow. over 10%. Okay. Uh, I grew up in a pretty segregated town. I lived on the east, east side of Westchester, Pennsylvania. And when they said, on the other side of the tracks, it was literally on the other side <laughs> of the tracks. Okay. Uh, we had our own uh, community center, which had a gym, in, indoor gym. We had an outside swimming pool, playground, big field. And that's basically where all the black people in town congregated because we were not allowed to go in the Y. Wow. Uh, the movie theater, we had to go in the balcony. I can remember that clearly. Uh, we were actually allowed in the stores that wasn't a problem but it was quite obvious growing up when i first started playing little league baseball i actually had to go home one day i was i believe i was nine or ten because one of the adults called me a pickaninny i had no idea what a pickaninny was i don't either so, <laughs> well it's a little i found it, it's a little kid slave whoa whoa so I went home and asked my dad. My dad was really upset. He came out to the game, and after he showed up, I didn't have any problems after that. But, <laughs> you know, growing up playing in the little leagues uh, and, you know, through junior high, it became, became quite obvious that there weren't going to be an all-black team that I played on, even though a lot of the guys I grew up in the neighborhood or in town should have made a lot of those teams, but they never did. And then when I got mm -hmm. to high school, uh, my first team was, was a sophomore. It was half and half, and we lost the championship. The next year, we basically had almost the same uh, roster. We had four white guys on the team and eight black guys. Well, a week before the season started, the coach made a decision. Uh, I had a white coach. His name was Jack McCullen. He cut all the white players and elevated two guys from the JV team. We had an all-black team, which was the first all-black team wow. that anybody had outside of Philadelphia. And at the now, time, was, Philadelphia now, was not in the I'm sorry. way with us. They had their own league. So he caught a lot of flack for that. We ended up, we won the championship. 
we end up losing the district championship uh, to a team from Delaware County, Pencrest High. The next year, he does the same thing, picks an all-black team again, <laughs> a lot of black men, but we win the championship, and things kind of died down. But it was it was uh, really a quota system throughout the uh, league in the area that very, not very few, we were the only team that had all black ball players. And that retained the football, basketball. You had a lot of guys, black athletes running track and field. You know, they didn't cut anybody. So you always had a lot of kids running track and field that were black. Wow, in interesting. So because you grew up in a talent-rich area of uh, Philadelphia area, right outside of Philadelphia, did you have any – did your team ever face – as you mentioned, you were a predominantly black uh, school – I mean, excuse me, team. Did your team ever face any, like, uh, did the teams – the white teams in Philadelphia or the, the Catholic leagues, did they, did they actually want to play you or did they – I mean, how did that work out? How did that go? Well, we could never get a game with any of the teams in Philadelphia. We would play in Christmas tournaments, but they, they were other teams from the suburbs of um, Phil, uh, Philadelphia, Delaware County, Chester County. Now, one tournament we played in, we did play one Catholic League team, St. Tommy Moore, and we beat them. And that was really the only team we've ever played. I played in high school. It was from the Catholic League. Uh, they just wouldn't schedule games with teams outside of Philadelphia. Okay. And some of the Catholic League teams were actually not in Philadelphia. They were in Montgomery County, <laughs> Delaware County, <laughs> Bucks County. You know, people don't realize that most of the Catholic League team that say they're the Philadelphia Catholic League mm -hmm. are not in Philadelphia. Wow, that's see, I, didn't, I never knew that. Yeah, they're all outside. Most of them are outside of Philly. So um it's obvious that like when i read your bio that you had i mean you you were you were a star on uh the basketball court as well as track um what was your recruitment like as far as when you started deciding where you wanted to go to college like um did you was there any did you have like did you want to go to like a a, a white school did you was it even an option um like what was during that period of time i guess this would be in the late 60s early 70s like what was the atmosphere as far as uh black black players getting actually getting recruited to these colleges well at the time when i first got to high school i had no intentions of going to college i was fortunate that my track coach a person later became my track coach a, a man by the name of john hewlett came from maggie walker high school in richmond he took a job at Henderson as a science teacher and they, they needed a track coach. Mm -hmm. So he took over as a track coach and he was able to convince the superintendent of the schools to let him start a project where he tried to get as many black kids in the predominantly black schools, Morgan, Howard, Hampton, Norfolk State, North Carolina A&T, Delaware State, and he was successful in probably, I would say, following probably about 30 of our my fellow students, uh, fellow classmates to black colleges. And it just so happened, I might be getting ahead of myself. Mm -mm. Um, he was you friends. Te you're, te you're teaching us. He was friends <laughs> with the coach, the track coach at Norfolk State. His name was Dick Price. 
But uh, he took me to Morgan, uh, Hampton, which was which was the college he graduated from, Virginia Union, Virginia State. He, he actually took me and two other, two different different times. He took us down to black colleges to tour black colleges, Maryland State, to see what they were like. And he's probably more responsible for me going to college than anybody else. But as far as being recruited, I got some offers from uh, some schools out in Ohio. Uh, I got an offer from Akron. Um, I think it was Kent State. Uh, Army which I wouldn't Ooh. look at because at the time that was the height of the Vietnam War and there's no way I was, I was going to, <laughs> to, to the, uh, the academy. Um, and locally, St. Joe's University, they offered me a partial scholarship, but nobody really offered me, you know, a whole lot of um, scholarship money. And, you know, my parents weren't, you know, we, we were getting by, but they didn't really have a lot of money. So it came down to, you know, Norfolk State offered me a scholarship in both basketball and track, so I ended up taking that. But Ooh. I was really disappointed because it seemed like the Philadelphia Public League and the Catholic League, they were getting all, this, all the scholarships locally. And after my junior year uh, playing basketball, we were playing a tournament called um, the Al D'Afronio tournament in Conshohocken, Pennsylvania. Well, I played against the guys from Philly and in the Catholic League and the Public League. And to be honest with you, I, I didn't see any difference. They weren't that they weren't better than me, and I couldn't understand why. Right, not only me, but the ball players out in the suburbs weren't getting a shot to play the in Philadelphia, the Big Five at Villanova, Temple, LaSalle. Mm -hmm. Uh, St. Joe, Drexel. So, yeah, I, I we felt pretty shunned, all of us. So, okay, so you ended. Up, you said North. You mentioned Norfolk State. Norfolk so, State. how did how did Cheney State get on? The, I mean, how did you end okay. up playing in Cheney State? I went to Norfolk State. I registered. Uh, like I said, the the track coach. Uh, Dick Price was also the football coach. So we had a meeting with all the athletes, the freshman athletes that they brought in, those football players, basketball players. And when I got up and asked the basketball coach, you know, when do we start practice? He said, oh, there's been a change. You're not going to play basketball. They want you to play football and run track. And run indoor track. <laughs> I said to him, because I had played football before up up until senior high. I got hurt. Okay. Actually, football was actually my better sport, but my dad oh. signed the paperwork for me to play football because I hurt my knee. Okay. Well, I thought about it. I, we had a big conversation. He said, "Well, you got a choice. You can stay here, or you can go home." I packed my bags the next day and went home. <laughs> I, I, and I had been recruited by Cheney. So I went out to Cheney, talked to the basketball coach. He said, sure, we'd love to have you. And the first basketball coach I had, his name was Hal Blitman. 
Mm -hmm. And Cheney at the time really had probably one of the best Division II programs in the country from like mm -hmm. 1964 to 69. They were ranked nationally. They had probably about five or six guys that played in the uh, NBA, I mean, the ABA. Mm -hmm. So they were well known. Well, right before the season started, uh, my coach, Hal Blitman, he left to take the job of the Miami Floridans of the ABA. So now I'm there, the coaches left. We didn't have a coach. <laughs> so the act, the uh, assistant athletic director, his name was Tony Coma. He took over as coach. Well, I didn't know much about him, but I later found out he had coached Earl Monroe in high school. He had coached in the Eastern Professional Basketball League. And he was really well known and had some really good ball players at, in Philadelphia, you know, before he came to Cheney. Well, uh, Coach Blitman had a more controlled, deliberate offense. Whereas Coach Coleman, his offense was like UNLV. It was a running Wolves, running Rebels. <laughs> we averaged 80 points a game. Wow. He didn't care about playing defense. He just ran up and down the court <laughs> and, and scored baskets. But we had some real good players on that on those teams. We end up on those two, the two years I played for Tony Coma, four of our ball players got drafted in the NBA. Uh, one impressive. played uh, on the New York Knicks team that, that the year after they won the championship, his name was Greg Fillmore. He was their backup senator, Willis Reed. We had some other guys, a guy, Charles Kirkland, played for the Milwaukee Bucks, and two guys also got drafted by the um, uh, by the Knicks. But Mr. Blitman, when he left, took two ball players that never played at Cheney. I mean, they were on the team, but never played a minute of college basketball. They went with him to Miami. Wow. So, so then my senior year, uh, oh, in all those years, we won the, we won the championship. Uh, my sophomore year, we were the Mideast Regional Champs. We went out to the Nationals. We came in fifth place. We got beat by Evansville uh, in the quarterfinal game. That's Illinois, right? Yeah. Evansville, yeah. Illinois? Okay. And that's where the tournament was. Okay. It was a different format. But then my senior year, uh, a week before school started, Coach Coma took a job with Cornell University and actually wanted me to come with him, me and, me and the center. And I said, no, I got one more year at Cheney. I enjoy it here. I want to you know, finish out my year and graduate. So we didn't have a coach. And October 15th, uh, I don't know if you guys are aware of it, is always the first day of basketball. Right. Well, Coach Cheney showed up, and they, they hired him. I had no idea who this man was. We had a meeting, and we had three ball players returning from the previous year. So he had a tryout. We had about 60 guys come in the gym, and I, I'm figuring to myself, we're not going to win nothing. He has to pick seven, eight guys from a bunch of guys he has no, he doesn't know about. Well, in the first half hour, he eliminated about half of them because he ran everybody in the gym nonstop for a half hour. 
<laughs> he asked the guys who's tired and these guys were stupid enough to raise their hand he said all right all you guys are done out and wow out. He eliminated half of them in one day so mr dorsey um uh since we're on the cheney uni your cheney university years can you explain or do you have a do you recall the first time or first conversation you actually had with uh coach cheney yeah, it was it was interesting. Um, <laughs> at least. Um, basically, he came in and said, uh, we're going to do things different. Uh, we're we're going to play defense is number one. We're not going to turn the ball over. And we'll go from there. And I'm looking around. It's only me, <laughs> another guard in the center. And I figure, who's going to do all this? <laughs> but he picked the team. And it started out a little rough. We lost the first two games. And then after that, things start clicking. We end up, we won the championship again. We, had, we were actually picked to finish six or seven. And we won the championship. We got beat by Akron in the Mideast Regionals. So we ended up coming in, um, we came in third place. But during that time, he devised what I call the, how can I put financially? He figured out a way for the university to make money and support their athletic program. Because I don't know if wow. you're aware, our football team was one of the worst. We had one of the worst football programs in the country. Matter of fact, we were we were actually before they dropped football a couple of years ago. We were number one in losses. The only team that was ahead wow. of us at one time was Bowie State. <laughs> so, Damn, I bet it was. Yeah. So what he, what he did, we would we were playing. We had a, we have fourteen teams in our conference. We have an East and a West conference in the PSAC. We would play uh, eight home games. Maybe play another home. We play at the most ten home games. Well, they would schedule games with teams like Eastern Michigan, Murray State. Uh, Ryder, Loyola, Chicago. And the reason they did that, we would get half the gate. Well, that money supported the rest of the athletic program. Mm -hmm. But the only problem was they took us for granted. We went out to all these schools that had these big arenas and we beat them. They wouldn't play us again. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you, you uh, real quick, uh, so you said you went out to various arenas to 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 uh to play and earn money. What you were right there in Philadelphia. What about the big five of Philadelphia? What were they they you wouldn't play Villanova or to LaSalle back, or back in in the sixties when I I was telling you about the good teams that Cheney had, they made a mistake and scrimmage Villanova one time. Well, they thrashed Villanova and I guess the word got out they wouldn't give us any games. The only team that would play us in the Philadelphia area was Philadelphia College of Textiles. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. They're coached by Herb McGee, mm -hmm. who's in the Basketball Hall of Fame. They mm -hmm. actually won the Division II National Championship in 1969. Oh, so okay. He wasn't afraid to play anybody. But the other schools, they would play Westchester University. They would play Widener. They would play everybody else, but they wouldn't play. They, they wouldn't give Cheney a game. Now, we would, we would play down to Palestra, but we would either play Lincoln University or Philadelphia Textile. Uh, I think a couple of times we played Ryder, Ryder University, Farley mm -hmm. Dickerson. 
but none of the big five schools will give us any games. To this day, they've never given us any games. Wow, that's interesting. So it's 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 apparent, like I've mentioned, that you've and like you're you're explaining to us now, you've experienced a tremendous amount of success uh, in track in basketball, and so along the way, obviously you've come into contact with some some great coaches. I mean, yes, you're natural, you have natural talent. Um, yes, you worked obviously worked hard. You, I'm tired listening to you. That, that's how that's, but but um. What was it about Coach Cheney that was there something about him that maybe was a little different the, uh, as far as his coaching style? Because obviously, um, um, you know, he, he came to Cheney and, and it was his first coaching experience on the collegiate level. Um, so so what was it about Coach Cheney that was maybe a little different if, if, if there was anything different at all? Well, first of all, he was probably one of the most honest people I ever met. If he said something to you, it, he meant it. And if he said he's going to do something for you, he did it. He was, and he was fair and he, but he was demanding. But the one thing I can say about playing for coach Taney was the stuff we would work on in practice, we were prepared for whatever type of defenses, offenses they threw at us. And he was just the best coach I've ever had. Uh, detail and knowledge. I, I really learned more in one year of basketball playing for him as a senior and then coaching with him. You know, I did all the scouting for five years and the one year in 78, we won the national championship. So I was pretty close to him and I would help him, you know, not, I call myself helping him draw for, uh, <laughs> game plan. Okay. The games, he'd ask my opinion, and a lot of of stuff I said to him, he would he would agree with. But he was just he was just it's hard to describe. He he was a caring person, and one thing he 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 said the first day of practice: if you don't go to class and do your home do your work, you will not be on this team. And there were some guys that didn't do that. And he had a couple of guys that were on his championship team. They didn't go to class. The next year he came back, he cut them. Hmm. He, he, uh, he, he meant it. So there's two things I've been meaning to ask you for a minute, and I wanted to wait until tonight to do that. Um, one is playful. One is a, a, is a bit more serious. The first thing is, did the 5 a.m. practices really exist? That's, that's the playful one. The second one is, uh, the time you got to Cheney and actually your college years, uh, and and having a uh, fortune, uh, been fortunate enough to play for under uh, Ch- John Cheney, who was probably one of the most social justice conscious brothers coaches that we've ever had uh, on the scene of college athletics. Period. Was he like he was by the time I start paying attention to Coach Cheney? Was he always preaching social social justice as far as uh, you know? how you conduct yourselves or, or what's at stake as far as the black community is concerned. Was it always oh, yeah. on his mind? It was always on his mind. We, we had a, uh, you know, code of conduct. Like I said, he didn't tolerate any nonsense. You know, there was a <laughs> lot of things going on as far as there was a lot of protests. When I got to school, we actually had some buildings being burned. You know, that was the height of the uh, civil rights movement. Wow. And he, he said, look, you're here to get an education. He said, I respect, you know, your, your politics, but you're here to get an education. And second, then play basketball. 
And uh, that was his philosophy. And, you know, he said, I, he said, we're not going to take any, anything off of these people we play. He said, but, you know, you got to conduct yourself, you know, in an orderly manner because we had some, some guys that were really rough at the time. <laughs> when I would say that really rough, I mean, because we, you know, we played in an all white conference and we went on the road, you didn't get any calls. Right. And we got oh. had some guys that got beat up pretty good. And, you know, he had, we had to really restrain ourselves from getting in a lot of fights, you know, but, but we did. So did you have the 5 a.m.? Oh, the 5 a.m.? Believe it or not, the 5 a.m. practices didn't bother me. What did bother me was when we had a bad game and he had a he had a policy of we didn't shake anybody's hand. Hmm. The game was over because the students would, would run on the court. You ran downstairs in the locker room. Okay. So we're going downstairs in the locker room and the um, manager were down there and they said, Coach Cheney said, said don't, don't get undressed. I couldn't figure out why he said that. So some of the tongue lashes he gave us were, uh, I, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> they were pretty severe. <laughs> they cleared the gym, all the, all the uh, spectators. He said, okay, back upstairs. We practice for another two to three hours. What? Wow. <laughs> yeah. After the game. After the game. Yeah. Now, was, the, was this a regular thing? Nothing. It now, was, was this a regular thing or was this periodic? No, it, it was when he thought we played a bad game. Oh, okay. It was like about two or three times a season. But it was the first time he did it. I said, this man's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but the guys got the message because we had some guys who were slacking, weren't doing what they're supposed to do. Uh, that didn't happen too often. Yeah, so I in practice, I, I could handle that. That was no problem. So um, based on what's been the atmosphere in our country last uh, the last several years, and it seems to be uh, it came to a boil uh, this past summer uh, of 2020, uh, there's kind of there's been a push for black athletes to return to HBCUs um, as a black player and a historian of sort who's actually lived and played during a time of, of civil rights. Uh, when, when, when the white schools were starting to extract uh, black talent and uh, thus revenue, i.e. players, uh, out of the HBCUs and into their colleges. What's your opinion as far as uh, the state of HBCUs now? And do you believe um, the players have a, a social or a economic or educational responsibility to return to these uh, colleges? What's your, what's your read on that, Mr. Dorsey? Well... I could go back to when I was first traveling to the black universities. Uh, on one of one of my trips, we went to Morgan State, as I had two um, friends of mine, actually three, that played on the Henderson's football team. Uh, one was the end. One was two were ends, and one was a nose tackle. Well, when we went down to Morgan. The Morgan coach was uh, Coach Banks. Legendary Coach Banks. Mm -hmm. Well, when I got down there, the first person, again, this Mr. Hewlett took us down. He was doc, ended up being Dr. Hewlett. 
I met Eddie Hurt, Coach Hurt. Now, I didn't know Coach Hurt was at the time until I went outside and looked at the Morgan Gym. It was Hurt Gymnasium. <laughs> and I read up on him. But we go into a locker room, and I had never seen men that uh, people that big in my life. <laughs> and I said to the two guys that were on the football that went down there with football players, I said, "You guys aren't going to play down here." <laughs> so who they had on the team? They had three first-round draft picks. They had Raymond Chester, mm. Ray Glada. He got drafted by the um, Houston Oilers. Then they had a guy, Carlton Dabner, got uh, drafted by the. Um, I think he got drafted by Atlanta Falcons. But they had about six or seven guys on that that were getting drafted every year out of Morgan State. You know, wow. and, and what happened was I, I blame it on uh, USC. USC was more responsible for integrating white colleges with black athletes than anybody else. Yeah. When they went down to Alabama, Mm. The crap out of Bear Bryant's team. That changed everything. Yeah, it did. And it had a rippling down effect where in our conference, which, like I said, Cheney was the only black team, predominantly black team college in their conference. Well, they started recruiting the kids. We were getting out of Philadelphia, Chester, Pennsylvania, uh, the suburbs these schools across the state of Pennsylvania start recruiting those kids. And one thing they were able to do that we couldn't do, you know, because of finances, they were giving them full rides. Mm -hmm. So that was, a, that was the beginning of, of all these white play. I mean, black players going to most of these white schools. And then it's hard for the black colleges because of the alumni, you know, a lot of these schools have to survive off the alumni giving back money uh a few schools don't howard dutton i don't hampton morgan's in pretty good shape but a lot of these other black schools they're, they're on the fringes of closing closing down mm -hmm. you know it's it's a shame but i wouldn't uh, if i had to change anything i i still go back to black college i had a wonderful experience my wife edward knows she's a graduate of hampton my daughter's a graduate of Cheney, one of my daughters. Uh, you know, I met more friends for life there. I, I, you know, the experience, I, I could never pay them, pay them back enough for that that I had there. So does it make you feel good to see that we're starting to see some more high-profile um, Black athletes who are now starting to say that eat at least going to consider HBCU over some of the bigger name schools. And then you have the, the situation with uh, Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders going to Jackson State. I going to Jackson that. State. He's got, a, he's got a top 20 recruiting class this year. So. Well, my, my foot, one of the football coach at, um, I don't know if you ever heard of Billy Joe. He was the football coach at Cheney. He ended up being the football coach at uh, Florida A&M for quite a while. But I, I, he always sends me information about 
what's going on with the black colleges. And, and that's one of the things he says, we need to get these black athletes to go back to the black colleges and support them. But, you know, it comes down to money. That's what it is. Yeah, it really comes down to money. You know, I was, I was disappointed to see that Hampton left the uh, MEAC and went to the Big South. And I think North Carolina A&T is going to do that, too. So I, I hope other schools, you know, you know, stay in the black conferences. Hmm. So... Um... I feel almost selfish because I was running my mouth and, and that's how it is. Whenever I get to get an opportunity again to talk to you, uh, Mr. Dorsey, I, I, I kind of hog the, <laughs> I kind of hog your time up uh, because I'm just fascinated. You, you one story after one story. So um, I, again, I, it was, it was, it, thank you from the bottom of my heart for giving us this uh, history lesson, so to speak. Um, and we, we really appreciate your time and, and effort. Uh, so, I'd like you, to Barry. say something to Professor Jay, who has the Morgan hat on. Uh -oh. this, is a, this, uh -oh. this is another situation about economics and racism. Mm -hmm. I, I went to grad school at Morgan State after I graduated from Cheney. And right towards the end of the semester, my first semester, I got a call from the uh, guidance counselor that, 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 was, uh, that I was dealing with at Morgan who informed me that my money was cut. I didn't have any more money because Ronald Reagan cut all the money to a lot of black colleges. So my scholarship went by the wayside. I had to return home. Hmm. Wow. I mean, that's that's definitely a great history lesson. And Ed is, is uh, done dominating the conversation. I, I got a couple of questions for you myself. Is that all right, Ed? Am, am I good? I'm back. I'm done. I'm done. Man. It's you. Right. So a couple of weeks ago, um, we did a tribute to the legendary Coach Cheney. And one of the things that surfaced that, that I wanted to bring to the forefront is the connection, the obvious connection between he and Coach John Thompson. I'm definitely proud of Coach John Thompson because I matriculated at the same high school he did in Archbishop Carroll High School, where he won championships there, you know, and then went on to his great success, you know, in college and in the pros. With their main push for uh, Prop 42 and 44, I believe it was, what impact do you believe that that took on players of your time? Well, it was a little bit after your time, but what impact do you think that it had on players moving forward to really, because you said it, uh, Coach Cheney really valued education and so did Coach Thompson. How did you as a player really take that and run with it in the classroom? And then as you matriculated at other schools with your education, how did you in turn influence other people to put education first, even though you were very skilled as an athlete? Well, what he always stressed was a lot of those tests were biased mm -hmm. and that they shouldn't be given to inner city kids. And that Proposition 48 was one of the main reasons why kids could not get into college, that everybody deserved a chance. And that's why he pushed to eliminate that. And he was one of the few coaches, like John Thompson, that would give those kids a chance and once they got him, he got him in school, 
then he could help them out. Then he could get them to get their grades up. And a lot of the guys that he had, a lot of them ended up playing professional basketball. And they were all prop, you know, 48 students. And when I was coaching high school basketball, you know, our goal was to see if we could get every kid, and not even just the basketball players. Uh, the, the head basketball coach's name was Leon Bell at Anderson. He was my teammate in high school, my teammate at Cheney. They really stressed trying to get all our kids to go to college, you know, to further their education. Even then they go to college, go on to, go on to armed forces, go to a technical school, but do something. Just don't graduate and then sit around, you know. We do real, and coach, that's what Coach Cheney stressed. Just do the best that you can do, you know. Don't be slacking. Uh, don't don't waste your opportunities. And that's what he did. He gave everybody uh, opportunities. And a lot of the other coaches, because of Proposition 48, would not. Amen. You mentioned the word shunned. And, and I think that stood out with me a lot because I work with a lot of inner city kids right now. And one of the things that they always bring up is how they're viewed, you know, how they're treated. And if they're not seen as this great athlete or this rapper or any of the other stereotypical things that a lot of our kids, you know, push to fall into thinking that's the only way they'll make it. When you said you felt shunned, I hear a lot of reasons why young people today feel that way. But was feeling shunned more than just your ability to play or did it have to come into skin color because you were during the civil rights time? Did you feel that you guys were slighted because of the color of your skin? Like talk a little bit more about your feeling as a black athlete during that time at the height of the civil rights movement and how you had to deal with that on and off the court? Well, when I was in junior high, um, I, I started to notice that when I tried out for the basketball team, and the, I played football, basketball, and ran track. Track really wasn't a problem because that was either you're good, you beat the guy running, or you, or you don't beat him running. But when they picked the teams, there were guys that I knew should have made some of these teams. And they, it was obvious they didn't pick them because they were black. And you just had to do better, work harder, to either not only make the teams, but to start. And then I had two brothers, I'm gonna go back a little bit, that were about four years behind me. They said the guidance counselors in the high school told them, the best thing you guys can do is either go into service or get a job. Nobody tried to push them to go to college or further education. You know, that's just the way it was. And it wasn't until, you know, the end of the civil rights movement, you know, when Lyndon Johnson, the, you know, after Kennedy got shot and um, they started allocating a lot of money to the black colleges that, you know, people I knew my area, like I said, that Dr. Hewlett pushed, we started going to college on a regular, but we probably sent more through, through, through Dr. Hewlett. In the three years I was at Henderson, we probably sent more kids, he did, to black colleges than 
from 1950 to 1970 combined in the Westchester area of black student athletes going to college. I looked it up one time. I could only count maybe about eight, nine athletes from 1950 to 19—I'll say 67—that actually went to college. They just wouldn't push the athletes to go to college. You know, they, wow. they, that's just you know that's just the way it was. It's a shame because we still see that going on today. Yeah. It just it just breaks my heart. It really, and see, my wife Edward knows my wife. My wife taught and Phil. Uh, another form of discrimination. My wife graduated from Hampton. She couldn't get a job with a local uh, school district in the area. She had to drive an hour plus every day and teach in Philadelphia. She taught in Philadelphia for 30 some years. So I read firsthand about how she was trying to help the kids. And uh, she actually had a couple students that she taught at uh, a school in South Philadelphia, their middle school. That was a feeder school for Southern High School. And she had a couple of pros, uh, Mark Jackson. Uh, wow. Uh, <laughs> All right. Uh, the, she had uh, contact with uh, the Morris twins. Wow. Uh, they ended up going to a charter school. But she had a lot of kids come through her junior high to end, end up going uh, in the pros. Wow. I have one more question for you. You mentioned twice that your high school, you were the only all-black team in high school, and then you mentioned a couple of times that you were the only primarily black team for college. I know you said that you got had to deal with some people trying to be a little extra physical during the games. How was it playing at those other venues as far as the crowd? Ooh, you had to put cotton in your ears. Uh, they called <laughs> us everything you could think of. And wow. I remember Coach Cheney saying, they can call us whatever they want. We're going to run the score up every chance we get. We got a chance to beat them, run them in the ground. That's what we did. Yeah. And, and usually by halftime, all that noise stopped. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah wow. It was interesting. All right, I got one more. I said I'm sorry. I told, I said I wouldn't ask any more questions. I'm gonna ask one more question. <laughs> so, Mr. Dorsey, you said what, what did it did it ever wear on you and your teammates that you had to go through this? Like this, like either the insults, the the challenges of, of even finding comp people to play. Or whatever else, not being off, you know, not having an opportunity to go to school or even participate in uh, athletics. Did it ever wear on you or your teammates, or did you ever see something like you mentioned? You said you've seen many athletes never even have an opportunity to uh, to play because of whatever the quota system. Did it ever wear on you as as, as a black man or a black young man at the time? Did it? Well, no. It, it actually brought our teammates closer together. And, it, it, you know, I hate to say this, but I was kind of used to it. You know, mm. in high school, I went to one of the schools uh, and we played Boyertown High School. And before the games, we're warming up. They threw black jelly beans on the court at us. Wow. You know, so it wasn't anything that I wasn't used to. Okay. Uh, the only 
thing I, that did concern me, though, some of the schools we were play, played against in the state, you know, they were pretty hostile, and, and we had to worry about getting out of town. <laughs> but no, I, it, it just made us stronger. You know, it made us more determined to go out and, you know, beat the crap out of them. You know, and Coach Cheney was a firm believer in, you know, that's how you're going to pay him back. You just go on the court, you know, you, you know, don't get upset. Just take it out on the court. That's what we did. Well, I want to thank you, thank you, thank you for your time. One, for agreeing to come on. But I also want to thank you for paying back or paying forward. Yes, sir. Because I'm sure with your education, you could have done other things besides being an assistant basketball coach and reaching back to help the youth coming behind you. So thank you so much for doing that because if more of us did that, we would be in better position than we are now. So I, I greatly appreciate that. Uh, yeah, Professor I Jay? I hope some of my teammates are listening because I like to thank them, especially the guys that I went through high school with, Leon Bell, uh, Chuck Glasgow, Mike Gallimore, Gary Jones, Alan Nash, Tim Pat, and the guys at Cheney, uh, Buff Kirkland, Eddie Swain, John Clifton, Leroy Algies, Antoine Harrison, Bill Allen. I'm trying to think who else. I, I didn't want to miss anybody. If I did, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can come on anytime you want. You just let us know. Yes, sir. <laughs> if you miss and, anybody tonight, you just let us know. We get you back on. Oh, and Julius, if they miss the show, you. they can show sure come check us out. They can go on our. Uh, Facebook well, page I'll, I'll or YouTube page to be up. Now, now that I know you're on, I'll log in and listen. We, we appreciate, appreciate that. that. Definitely. Yeah, we definitely appreciate yeah. that. You guys, God be with you and stay safe in this pandemic. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you again, Mr. Dorsey. You have no, a wonderful no evening. We appreciate you. We'll let you get out of here. Then we're going to wrap up a couple of few things I'm before we close the show. Oh, no, no. He, <laughs> you, you're welcome to stay if you want. Yeah. But. <laughs> We got about 20 more minutes of non-interview. If you want to hang on, we greatly appreciate I think it. I better, I, look, I have a lot of old injuries. I think I better get up and stretch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to turn off. Hey, right, man, guys, today. Take it easy. Right. You right, thank you, sir. Have a wonderful evening. Be safe with you and your family. I'll see you, I'll see you this weekend. I'll be down this weekend. Oh, okay. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you. Well, everybody, we appreciate everybody for tuning in. That was a wonderful, yeah. wonderful interview, Ed. I'd like to thank you for setting that up. Yeah, uh, Mr. Brossy was a treat. Appreciate that. Yeah, you're a hey, when I talked to him, I was like, hey, he has to I can't I can't haul this up. I had this has to be shared. So yeah, I, I, he's a he's a he's a great man. Yeah, and he's still doing the same things he was doing then now, but that's a different subject. But let's get let's get it. Okay. Just a couple of quick updates before we get to our post takes and then the things that caught our eye. Uh, for you football fans out there, uh, JJ Watt requested uh, to be released from the Texans, and that was granted. Very interesting. JJ Watt, ten years. He get his release. Our man Deshaun Watson can't get out of there. 
that's for that's for next week's show probably. <laughs> your, your, your boy Urban Meyer got his welcome to the NFL. <laughs> what was he thinking? Situation. So for y'all that didn't hear, he tried to hire former Iowa head strength coach Chris Doyle, who was fired or not fired. He was bought out because of more than 50 athletes accusing him of treating black players in Iowa differently than the white players and bullying. But Urban Moth said he thought he could just get in front of the cameras and said, I bet him. So it's good. I know him for 20 years. So uh, he, he's going to have some uh, interesting questions. He's going to ask, have to answer to some of those football players he getting ready to coach that uh, make millions of dollars and saying what you're thinking about NFL. For you Pittsburgh fans. I don't know any of those. Sad to say, <laughs> the Pouncey twins announced their retirement over the weekend. Center Marquise for the Steelers and his brother Mike, who finished with the Chargers. So two great brothers that held their own both all-pro centers doing their thing. Broke Ben hot. He don't even know if he want to play anymore. Yeah, for real, for real. But I, I, real quick, I, I I know just to say something about Marquise. I think that man. I think it was an admirable thing that he did. As far as he admitted why he quit. He's well. He walked away. He didn't necessarily quit. He said that I just don't feel like doing the things necessary that I need to do to compete at the highest level. He left six and a half million dollars on the table, and he had there was no chance of him getting cut. Or asking for a reduction in salary. So, hey, congratulations. Thanks, Marquise. And the NFL QB carousel continues. It seems like next up will be uh, Mr. Wentz. It, it sounds like they're finally going to make a move in the next couple of days. Yeah, I'm hearing Indianapolis is heating up. Yeah, I hear Indian, Indy and Chicago, the final two. I don't know why anybody wants to do, but that's on it. They want that Matthew Stafford deal. Yeah, that ain't happening. So, Philly's <laughs> no, so, coming off of that Matthew Stafford price, <laughs> and they're hoping that they can get a one and maybe another player or another draft pick and move that big $130 million contract off their books. Right, right. The biggest news in the NBA is Anthony Davis. Whoa. <laughs> and what they're calling a strained calf and – tendinosis, not tendinitis, tendinosis of the Achilles tendon. And all I can say about that, doesn't that sound eerily similar to what they were talking about KD two years ago? Yeah. Before he ruptured his Achilles? Sure does. The difference is, I think, with, it, with you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, And I just shut him down. Just, just shut him. You won a championship last year. It's not worth it long term. Just shut it down. I, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even risk it. If if he returns in June, May, what's the it's, it's February, March, April, May, June, four months from now, five months from now, maybe it's just not worth it. Because LeBron, LeBron ain't got years to waste shutting AD down. So they but, shut LeBron down too. Then, but look at look at it like this. I'm gonna answer that. That's a that's a very interesting point, Professor Jay. But if you think about it, yeah, LeBron doesn't have more that much time left, but. If he can, sh if they shut Anthony Davis down, you know LeBron has at least at least two more years. Say one more. Say one more. Let's say one more year. If Anthony Davis ruptures his Achilles, 
that's a year and a half, two year injury. I'm talking about to 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 full dominance the way he right. is now. So just shut it down now because if you don't shut it down, then you might miss that window that you had with LeBron. Yeah. But yeah. look, if anybody could cry about load management, it'd be LeBron. Who would mess with him if he says load management? Right. Nobody. That's true. Well, I got an idea for the Lakers. Andre Drummond. Oh, yeah, he is on the block, isn't he? But do they have the assets to get him? <laughs> I don't think it'll take a whole bunch of assets. If if they get into Andre's ear, just like they got the AD's ear, and tell Andre to act up, hold out. No, he got to act up. Just hold out. Saying he's not going to accept the trade because his contract expires into this year. Oh. So he's on an expiring contract. So just tell him to hold out and allow them to buy him out. Then he can select the place. Then go to L.A. and go win mm -hmm. a ring. Now, and I know they've Lincoln, Palou, proven to be a gangster, too. That's yeah. <laughs> and I know they've shut him down. They, they're they not really playing him right now because they're not playing him at all because they, they are going to trade him. So look for that shortly. Yeah, you see uh, Draymond Green blowing up over that last night. <laughs> Cussing I, everybody out. <laughs> some of the points Draymond was making were very valid. Yeah, absolutely. If an NBA player decided, look, I think we need to trade me, so I'm not going to play. I'm going to try to protect myself. He could kill. And I think he was more talking about the media and the fans more than he was talking about the teams. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But a team decides they didn't have the discussion with Drummond. They just came tap him on the on the shoulder and say, hey, go ahead back into the locker room and change out. We're not gonna play you anymore. Right. <laughs> this man is averaging 17 and 14. Yeah, like you're talking about a bum. So I mean that's that's what Draymond was pissed about. You you have a man that's working hard, doing everything he's supposed to do for the team, and you gonna treat him like that? At least Blake Griffin, who's going through the same thing with Detroit, at least mm -hmm. they told Blake, okay, we're not gonna play, we're gonna work this out. Stay home. Just tell him to stay home. Right. Agreed. Well, it's interesting. The NBA is probably the highest paid uh league in the uh in the United States as far as per per capita. And they're still treated like cattle, you know. Yeah. It's 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 still an owner. It's still an owner player relationship. It okay. sucks, but it, I mean, Doctor Edwards' book, I already started reading it. <laughs> <laughs> you getting in there, boy? <laughs> and, and a PSA for the NBA fans: uh, Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms put out a public statement telling all fans. Stay away from Atlanta. They are not going to be having a regular All-Star game. What the NBA is still planning, I still don't understand why, but they're saying they're going to do this All-Star game on March 6th. She, she's telling people, don't come to Atlanta because there won't be any parties. You won't be allowed in the arena. They're shutting all that down. So hopefully people listen, try to stay safe. Hmm. All right, Professor, you ready for your post-takes? Yeah, it's a little more black history. 
I was hoping Mr. Dorsey stayed on here because I had some good nuggets. He would have mad. He tied in the summer. But really, yeah, yeah, he did right in the kitchen. I'm wearing another school. I got to put my. <laughs> now I'm ready. Let's, let's represent, do. represent. Morehouse. Right. Right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so here's the post takes for tonight. Uh, true uh, black history in sports. Again, just like I told everyone, I'm going to do this until the end of the month because there are some great nuggets that are little known that people don't tap onto. All right. So here we go. Global icon Michael Jordan is the first black principal owner of a full time cup team since Hall of Famer Wendell Scott in 1973. OK, you saying who was Wendell Scott? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Wendell Oliver Scott was an American stock race car stock stock car racing driver. He was one of the first African American drivers in NASCAR and the first African American to win a race in the Grand National Series, NASCAR's highest level. He was inducted into the International Motorsports Hall of Fame in 1999 and the NASCAR Hall of Fame in 2015. William Darrell Bubba Wallace followed in his footsteps with taking the motorsports world by storm. Recently, Bubba Wallace became the first African-American to lead at least one lap of the Daytona 500. This backs up the highest finish for an African-American at Daytona when he finished second in 2018. Wallace now races for Michael Jordan's and Denny Hamlin's racing team, that also involved influence by NBA legend and NASCAR enthusiast Brad Darty. Brad Darty is a minority owner of JTG Darty Racing with principal owner, husband and wife, Tad and Jody Gashiker. See, see that history right there? Tied it all together. It's beautiful, isn't it? All right, next we got Kurt Flood. Y'all might know his name. Some of y'all might not. When traded to the Philadelphia Phillies during the 1969 season, Kurt Flood refused to report to the team. He felt so disrespected by his own organization because the Cardinals sent second-level personnel to inform him of the trade that he was willing to forfeit his $100,000 contract in order to become a free agent. This case and this fight went all the way to the Supreme Court. By taking a stand for what he believed in, the MLB implemented the 10-5 rule, which allows any player with 10 years of MLB service, the last five with the same team, to veto any trade. Although true free agency wasn't granted to players until years later, Flood took a stand and sacrificed his career so that today's ball players could make millions that they do. And that's a key point, Professor. He sacrificed his career. Right. He was blackballed from baseball after doing this. Yeah, that's right. And, and that, does that sound like a few that we have today? Because only a few are willing to do it. Colin Kaepernick reigns real loud right now. All right, next one. No list of black athletes that changed the world will complete will be complete without the Texas Western College basketball team of 1966. This is why I wanted this to do stale. Players Bobby Joe Hill. Ortson Artist, Willie Worsley, Willie Cager, Neville Shedd, Harry Flournoy, and David Latin. Prior to that season, no major college basketball team had ever had five African-American players start in their lineup. 
but that unheard of squad pulled off a miracle year that ended with them beating Kentucky, Blue Blood Kentucky, 72 to 65 in the national championship game. And get this, it was at University of Maryland's Cole Fieldhouse in College Park, Maryland. Bet you a lot of people didn't know that. Did not. Yeah. <laughs> All right, next is some history that my co-hosts already know. And he mentioned this on September 12, 1970, Alabama faced USC, University of Southern California. But the game was much more than just two teams squaring off. It was because it was between the all-white Crimson Tide and an integrated Trojan squad. In the end, Southern Kyle won by a score of 42 to 21. After this historic match, Alabama and many other teams in the South decided to start integrating their own college football teams. How about that, y'all? Yep, Ben Bryant said, <laughs> we will not have this happen again. Give me some of those players and became the That's first right. SEC team to integrate. That's right. And finally, can you guess who the first Olympic gold medalist and Super Bowl champion is? And Mr. Dorsey probably knew this. Great history, but wrong team. Bullet Bob Hayes was a blazing wide receiver on the Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl uh, VI championship team. 2009 inductee into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Bullet Bob Hayes was a gold medalist in the 100 meters in the 1964 Olympics in Tokyo. So I just fed you guys a lot of great black history in sports. Take it and run with it. All right. Back to you, Big Ridge. Appreciate that, Professor. Appreciate that. Just a couple of things that caught our eye, a few things caught our eye. Got to give a congrats out to Kamara Usman for his third-round knockout of Gilbert Burns to retain his UFC welterweight title. For you UFC fans out there, uh, it, it was a good fight for about a round and a half. Mm -hmm. Usman actually got rocked in the first round, got himself together, then started putting that jab, <laughs> then switched to southpaw. <laughs> It's all over from there. Yeah. For you boxer fans, Richard Comey, uh, who to, to Teofimo Lopez won his first belt from, bounced back with a knockout of Jackson Martinez. Uh, so that puts him back in a lightweight title contention. Uh, Joseph Jojo Diaz, I don't know what's up with these boxers. He lost his belt on the scale the night before the fight. Didn't make weight. And and then had to struggle to get a draw against a clearly overmatched opponent. So if you can't make weight, why are you boxing? Right. As they say, you can't play boxing. You either all in or you or you're not. Okay. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> and last for you boxing fans, Josh Warrington who was a potential uh, flyweight title contender from the UK, had his first fight in over 15 months because of COVID and a bunch of other things, and got knocked out in his own home arena by uh, little-known Mauricio Lore of Mexico, and it wasn't pretty. He, he heard him in the third round and finished him in the fifth. So, great fight. That brings us to this Saturday, WPC Super Featherweight title. Miguel Burchot 
fights Oscar Valdez. This is round two for these guys. They went toe-to-toe before it was one of the fight of the year contenders. So check that out Saturday's ESPN Top Rank. And we can't forget the queens of tennis. Serena is doing her thing. She made it to the semifinals. Unfortunately, she has to play one of the future queens, maybe even the present queen now, Naomi Osaka. They both meet tomorrow night on ESPN, so check that out. One of them will make the finals. Mm. Also, I got to give a shout-out to uh, Novak Djokovic, who made another semifinals, and Rafael Nadal gets his shot at the finals tonight. And last but not least, congrats to Michael McDowell for winning the Indy 500, his first win in 358 starts. He was a lifelong middle-of-the-pack guy, but due to some crashes, some Holy. crazy things that Ooh. happened, that final lap yeah. was crazy. But Mr. McDowell, congratulations for winning the Indianapolis 500 for your first victory. Wow. Yeah. That 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 was an amazing crash at the end. I mean, he'll he'll take it, I'm sure. But man, that was whew, that was big. What you have to ask you? Um, their match, their tennis match is early in the morning our time, though, right? I don't think they set the time for their match yet. At least I didn't see it before we came on. I believe it probably will be on. I'm hoping that they will put them at nine o'clock. Okay, because I'm gonna check because that'll be I'll actually I'll get up early <laughs> to watch because the other quarterfinals are actually playing right now, and then they come back and play again tomorrow for the semis. All the women's semis are tomorrow, so the players that are playing today will mm-hmm. play on a late match tomorrow to give them a chance to rest. Okay. So hopefully, Serena and, and Naomi should be nine o'clock. Okay, but if not, set your DVRs. Check it out. And get up because whoever wins that has a good shot of winning the title. Yep. All right, fellas, it's time for us to get out of here. Another another week, a great show again. Thank you, thank you, thank you to Mr. Dorsey. I really appreciate it sitting mm-hmm. back and listening to a wise man share his story. Just that, that that's always great mm-hmm. and enjoy it thoroughly. Yeah. All right, Professor, it's time for our final post. Why don't you kick us off, sir? All right, so prayers, uh, warm wishes, and shout-outs to Ariel Young and her family. She is the young lady that was involved in the crash that was caused by Chief's assistant coach and son of Andy, head coach Andy Reed, Britt Reed. She actually woke up from her coma today. So I am so thankful. This this beautiful five-year-old angel is now able to open her eyes, smile, interact with her folks. You know, she still has, you know, some healing to do, of course. Mm -hmm. But just coming out of that coma after 11 days, that is proof that prayer works. And we just have to continue to pray for her improvement, her recovery, as well as the emotions of the family that have been through a lot. And then I got to say, we got to pray over Mr. Reed as well, because even though he may have come back and he was under the influence, we still need to pray 
over his life as well. So I just wanted to announce that in case people didn't know that the little beautiful little girl, Ariel Young, has come out of her coma. Appreciate that update. Definitely appreciate that update. What you got for us, Ed? Well, I have more of the same. Obviously, <laughs> I want everybody to, to continue to be diligent as far as keeping yourself and the people you care about and even strangers safe as far as the COVID-19 issue is concerned. Um, Secondly, uh, and I, I, I can't <laughs> I can't thank Mr. Dorsey enough as far as what he's contributed to uh, this show tonight and then me whenever I have an opportunity uh, to talk to him. So I want to def definitely thank him. Um, and finally, and I'm, I'm, I'm I, I just hope J3, uh, uh, we miss you. Fel we miss you, homeboy. Um, you're well. And I'd just like to say melancholy RIP to a former NFL wide receiver, Vincent Jackson, who unfortunately at the age of 38 was found yesterday in a hotel room uh, deceased. And that leads me to family. Um, I, this pandemic has been rough on all of us. We're still going through it. Reach out and check in on your friends and family. We know people are going through things and it may not be COVID that they're dealing with, but it could be stress. It could be something else that's going on. Just reach out and touch base. Sometimes people are just lonely. So just, just take a few minutes each week, and just touch base with people just to check in and make sure they're doing all right. Yeah. All right. We'd like to thank you all for tuning in and listening. We appreciate your time and opportunity to share positional sports with you. We're here each and every Tuesday, 7 p.m. Sometimes it's two, sometimes it's three, and sometimes we got the full house of five. But we're going to be here for you because we enjoy sharing our positions on sports with you. We also enjoy hearing, seeing your comments and you interacting with us. So you can check out the show live each and every Tuesday, 7 p.m. If you can't catch it live, you can also uh, check us out. Our Facebook page, at Positions on Sports. Our YouTube channel, Positions on Sports Talk Show. Um, you also have our Twitter, Positions on SPO1. So reach out. We'd love to hear, hear from you. We appreciate your time. Again, we're here each and every Tuesday. Look forward to seeing you next week. Be safe. Take care of yourself. And most of all, have a blessed evening. Peace. God bless you. Peace.